Good. As you're doing that, I just wanted to um, publicly say just a big thank you to Melissa Lester, who I'm looking for her. I thought she was right here, who, um, who, who preached the last three weeks. Thanks, Melissa. You did such a good job. We're grateful for your ministry, such practical uh, teaching, really important perspective, really helpful insights that you shared with us. We're grateful for that, about a spirituality that is sustainable, about ministering out of an overflow of our connection with, with Jesus, and then identifying some really uh, practical and helpful barriers to that kind of life. So I just am really grateful uh, for your work with us. Thank you for teaching last few weeks. Um, there's a picture of somebody who was like, so what's going on? And uh, I said, well, you know, there's a big difference between having to say something and having something to say, right? And uh, I, I've, I've learned over the last 20 years that I've been preaching that if I, if I feel like I have to say something this weekend, it's, it's not like traumatic or anything, but it's time for me to take a little break. That's what that means. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I just need to stop talking, and I need to stay in the Word. And pretty soon, uh, whenever God's ready, I guess, I will, I'll have something to say again, right? So, um, because there's a big, you don't want to have to say something. That's not good for me, and it's definitely not good for you. I promise you that. All right. So, uh, it's, and I think it's a beautiful thing. It's uh, with a lot of gratitude to God that I can say this morning, I got something to say. All right? I got something to say today, and, I, and I'm praying that it's be, that'll be really helpful for you, and it'll be honoring to our king. Uh, I don't take it for granted, um, this, this work that, that, that I get to do. So today's the first Sunday of this season called Lent. It's a 40-day season that leads us into the biggest feast in the Christian year, which is the Feast of Easter. It is the, um, it's the day of the resurrection. Easter is. And so traditionally, the church embraces a season of fasting to prepare us for this season of feasting, the biggest day of our year where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So we lean into some themes like simplicity and repentance and need um, during the season of Lent. And, and the series that I've planned for the next five weeks is called 40 Days of Clarity, Temptation, Deception, and your true identity. So we're going to root this series in the teachings, uh, in the teaching from John, I'm sorry, from Matthew chapter 4, which is the story of the temptations of Jesus, All right? So we're going to be hanging out in Matthew 4 for the next few weeks. Uh, Isaiah, would you join me up here for a minute? <clears throat> This is my son. <laughs> I love him. I'm pleased with him. He brings me great joy. Do you believe what I've said about my son? You should. Because it's true. Does anybody want to challenge my claim that this is my son? or that I love him, or that I'm proud of him. That might seem kind of ridiculous to a certain degree, and yet this is the battle. This is the battle. Whether or not we will believe these simple truths. Thanks. Well done. 
Our scripture for today, and churches all over the world are reading the scripture today as we begin Lent uh, together, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. This is Matthew's account. Most of the gospel writers tell this story of the time that Jesus was tempted in the desert. We're going to actually start a few sentences before the beginning of this story because, of course, what happens immediately before the temptations of Jesus influences and shapes our understanding of the temptation story. So uh, if you're there with your Bible open, back up just a few sentences to the end of Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. This is the story that Melissa preached from at the beginning of her series, and we're going to carry on from there. Then Jesus came from Galilee, which is an area in the north, to the Jordan, which is a river, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And then Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now watch this, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Well-pleased is not a phrase that I use typically uh, there, so just I'll pause for a second. It's a verb in Greek. It's a verb with an adverb. The verb is to think, and the adverb, the, the word that qualifies the verb, is well or good. So it's, and almost all the scholars translate it well-pleased. Um, some translate it, uh, who, this is my son, whom I love, who brings me great joy. That might kind of get to maybe a feeling that's a little bit more natural. Or, in him I take great delight, is another way we could render that. Um, Okay, so then the very next word, after the word well-pleased, is then, chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, meaning he did not eat, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8 there in the Old Testament. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, He said, throw yourself down, for it is written, and now the devil's going to quote Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, and here here Jesus quotes uh, Deuteronomy 6, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Again, Deuteronomy 6. And then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. All right, so that's the story. I'm going to camp out here for a few weeks. In the next few weeks, I want to get into the specific temptations that are, that are listed here because there's so much we can learn from the specific ways Jesus is tested. Uh, we will also look, um, we'll talk about deception. Deception is such a fascinating dynamic to me, something that you and I experience at varying degrees all the time, almost probably every day, but we rarely recognize it when it's happening because we're being deceived. Isn't it weird? And so next week, we're going to talk about the deception, the deceptive nature of evil. Um, I think it's interesting how we often don't really believe in evil, and yet we see its effects all around us. So we're going to talk about that next week. That's a bit of what's coming. Today, I want to set the table for this series by focusing on just one verse, just one verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Check this out. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I mean, have you ever looked at that? That should throw you just a little bit. That might even, I mean, this is one of the stories that I think that some of us maybe were so familiar with it that we fail to read it honestly. That's great. That is weird. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. Okay, so Jesus is baptized, comes up out of the water, sky rips open, the Holy Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. It's not a dove. It is like a dove in some sense. Comes upon Jesus. Then this voice from heaven says, this is my son I love him. I'm pleased with him. And then Jesus comes out of the water, but instead of this post-baptism party or even like a little simple lunch, Jesus walks up out of the river and he just keeps on walking. He just keeps on walking into the desert. And Matthew, who writes the story, was not there, comes into the story later, must hear this story from Jesus himself records that it was the Spirit of God which came down out of heaven and, 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 and rests on Jesus that leads Jesus or brings Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. I hope we can be honest enough to recognize that that sentence doesn't fit very cleanly into most modern Christian thinking about how the Holy Spirit works. This is surprising. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I want to look at that word. We'll look at a key word. I'm going to offer two observations, and then we'll finish with a question, all right? Here's the key word. It's Greek. It's pirazzo. Pirazzo. Sounds like an Italian dessert to me. Pirazzo. It can be translated tempted, and it can also be translated tested. To be tempted, and it can be translated to be tested. And the reason it can be translated either way is because the Greek word pirazzo carries much more nuance than either the English word tempted or the English word tested. 
And as I understand it, the difference between which way you might choose to translate that word into English depends a lot on who's speaking and what their intent is, on who is speaking and what is their intent. So what we see in our English translations of the Bible is that God, who is true and good, tests people, and that Satan, who is malicious and evil, tempts people. But here's the challenge. In Greek, it's the same word. It's the same word. People are tempted and tested by God, and people are tempted, tested by Satan. And it's actually not quite as simple as God tests, Satan tempts, because some of the main portions of Scripture in which we see this dynamic playing out, like the first couple chapters of Job or Matthew 4 right here, God and Satan almost seem to be working together. And that's a bit disturbing. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So is it tempted or is it tested? It's kind of both at the same time. It's kind of both at the same time because what happens in the wilderness is a series of temptations which serve as tests that reveal the truth, a series of temptations that serve as tests that reveal the truth. The truth about what specifically? The truth about the identity of Jesus. Certainly in varying degrees, everyone in this story, there are three characters. There is the spirit, there is Jesus, and there is the devil. They all in varying degrees, they know the true identity of Jesus. And yet, has his identity ever been tested? Hmm. I don't think it has. Has it ever been tempted? Like, has he ever actually undergone any temptation that would reveal the truth about what is declared about him? Has he stood up to real temptation? Because that's the real test. That's the real test. In other words, in order to know for sure, you got to put a claim to the test. The test will reveal the truth or look at it from a shadow side. The temptation will reveal the truth. For example, uh, in order to prove whether or not you understand basic algebra, your math teacher gave you a test, right? And that revealed the truth of the, the degree of your comprehension. Another example, you may feel like you're in pretty good shape, but if you go and run a 10K tomorrow, that will reveal with clarity for you and for others what kind of shape you're actually in. It's a test. It'll reveal the truth. Another example, you and I may believe that we're really committed to helping others. But the truth is revealed in the way we manage our time and our money. And both, you know, the way that we respond to the temptation to spend our money on that or to buy another one of those, or gosh, it should really be nice to have, and versus giving money to those who are in clear need, that proves the truth, that reveals reality at a way that nothing else can. In other words, and this is important, temptation is not just about trying to get somebody to do something bad. Okay? Temptation is not just about trying to like get somebody to do something bad. Temptation 
is about getting to the truth of who you are. All right, here's the first observation. The clarifying question in this story, the clarifying question in my story, the clarifying question in your story, not the only question, but a remarkably clarifying question, is the question of identity. Is the answer to the question, who are you? Isn't it interesting that Jesus' ministry begins with baptism and ends essentially with the Last Supper? In baptism, Jesus' true identity is declared with clarity. This is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. And then at the Last Supper, this time in his own words, Jesus says, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood. It's shed for your sins. In other words, uh, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I am I am the beloved son of God, broken and given for the healing of the world. He's clear on that critical question of identity. And because his identity is crystal clear, who he is is clear, everything he does, all the other things get clarified. He knows what he's supposed to do. This clarifying question, it is the identity question. If you get this question right, all other lesser questions fall into place. All right, that's the first observation. Here's another. Because knowing who you are is so clarifying, because knowing who you are is so simplifying and so freeing and so empowering, the most intense battles of your life will rage around this question of identity. The most intense battles of your life will rage around this question of identity. They will question identity. They will challenge the idea of identity. They will attack the question of identity. In other words, who am I is the battlefield. That's where the war is fought. The question of identity is the focal point of temptation. All the voices in this story of Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness are speaking to this question of identity. All of the voices are. The voice of the Father declares the truth. This is my son. That is a declaration of his identity. I love him, followed almost immediately by the voice of the devil, challenging that very assertion, if you really are the son. So we're going to look at the specific temptations of Jesus more in the coming weeks, but I want you to see that these are not random temptations. This is not Satan just trying to trip up Jesus, just trying to trick him, just trying to get him to do something bad. These temptations are are very focused on, specifically and intentionally focused on tempting Jesus to distrust what the Father has already declared to be true about who he is, about his true identity. They're identity focused. This is where the battles rage. All of the voices in this story are speaking to the question of identity. We might say all of the voices reaching Jesus's heart are speaking to the question of identity. And I would suggest the same is true for us, friends, that all the voices really reaching and penetrating into our heart are addressing, speaking to this question of identity. In other words, when the noise kind of quiets down late at night before you fall asleep, the chatter of the day finally begins to quiet down before you fall asleep. The voices that are still discussing in your head, the the feelings that are still kind of pulling in your heart They're speaking to this question. 
Yeah, there, there are lots of challenges, lots of tough things in life, lots of little annoyances, but the battles, the real battles, the most difficult things, the things that are really ripping at your heart today, the things that pack an unusually potent emotional punch in you today, the reason they are such a war inside of you is because they are about your identity. They are confronting, they are calling into question the fundamental claim that you are a beloved child of God. This is how it sounds. It's my Satan impersonation. <laughs> I'm, I'll just try to do the content. But essentially it goes like this. Are you really? I mean, you actually believe that God loves you. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? I mean, because it doesn't really look like it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just observing that your life has a variety of issues which I could point to to uh, support my you know, suggestion that perhaps you're really not that special and not loved by God. I mean, look at your life. Look at the situation you're in. Is this how God treats his kids? What's it been? Like uh, 40 days? Jesus, since you ate something? What's that about? The spirit of God brought you out here? What's it been? Like 40 years, Israel, since you've been wandering around in the desert? You were led here by God. Oh, okay, sure. He delivered you for, oh, that's working out real well, isn't it? Yeah, you should trust him. Because clearly he loves you. You're his children. You're his chosen ones. Okay, okay. Let's just assume he loves you then. Uh, why don't you prove it? Why don't you do something that demonstrates that God actually is blessing your life? That he is actually for you? Why don't you, why don't you do something? Friends, it's because... Knowing who you are is so clarifying. It's because knowing who you are is so simplifying, it's so freeing, it's so empowering. The most intense battles of your life will rage around this question of identity. They will. Yeah. The voices in your head, the voices that reach your heart, they are countering what God has already declared to be true about who you are. God has declared his love for you with clarity. The adversary's um, strategy is to just try to confuse that, is to confuse that. All right, so here's the final question. Who will you believe? Whose voice wins? God says, you are my child, I love you. And the adversary says, oh, come on. Doesn't look like he loves you. So who will you believe? Who will I believe? Friends, it's important for us to understand that Jesus' life is not just about his life. Jesus comes to show us how to live. Jesus comes to rescue what's being lost. He comes to restore what's being broken. And so there's a demonstration happening for us here. It's not just about Jesus. Can anyone think of a time in the Bible when the devil 
tries to confuse people about what it is that God has said. Can you think of a time like that? Adam and Eve, right? Genesis chapter 3, right in the beginning of the Bible, it says like this, here's the creation story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He, referring to the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So God has just expressed goodness and truth. This is all for you. It is out of an overflow of my goodness that I created all of this. And the adversary counters by questioning God's goodness and by twisting the truth, by twisting the truth. And Adam and Eve believe the serpent. They give in to temptation. They fail the test. They prove that their allegiance to God is not as strong as their allegiance to themselves. And destruction ensues, because it always does, because sin leads to death. It always does. The world is good at the start, but then everything gets broken. And then, fast forward to the second major act in the Bible, from Genesis 3, now to uh, Matthew 4, the second great showdown with evil... And you've got this, who Paul, the, the man who Paul calls, the apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Did you know that? He calls Jesus in several places the second Adam. Oh, there's something going on here. This is like a second part of the story. And the second Adam comes to reestablish the kingdom on earth. He comes to put things back together. He comes to bring order to chaos, to restore all things. That's why the second Adam has come. Now, the garden of Adam and Eve, it's become a desert. But in this second great showdown with evil, this new man, this second Adam, believes the words of the Father. This is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. The second Adam believes the Father. It's, it's really all he does. He believes the Father. And in believing the Father's words, Jesus proves the truth of who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He demonstrates why he's come, to overcome evil, to put broken things back together again, to rescue us from our own sin, and yet there's even more. He shows us how to live in this temptation, in this season of testing. He shows us how to live. He shows us that true life and freedom and purpose, it comes when you choose to believe the Father's words. It comes when you believe what the Father has said. That's true. It's true because the Father said it was true. I don't know. I know some, but I don't know all of the battles that are raging inside of you today. I don't know all of the pain and the, the conflict. But I believe that the critical, practical question that you should try to answer today is, who will I choose to believe? Who will I choose to believe today? Yeah. Because there's a lot of voices, but they're not all holy they don't, all watch your, they don't all want your health and well-being and wholeness. Who will you believe today? Let's pray together.
fundamentally we recognize, Lord, this is a battle. That's why we're even talking about it. It's so simple. On one level, it looks so obvious to us. Of course I would believe the Father. Of course the Father loves the Son. And yet it's become, it's become so confused in us that we, we, literally, we literally have a hard time believing it when it comes to you and us. And so I pray for grace. Flood our hearts and minds with, a, with your power, your presence. Enable us, we pray, Lord, to believe what you have said is true. May our lives be um, built on the truth of your words to us. We are your children, and you love us. We are who you say we are. That's our identity. May this truth fuel us, clarify all of the other questions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Stand up together.